Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your presence with us. We do recognize we need you every hour. We pray needing you in this hour. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come and open our hearts to receive the things you have for us in your holy word. We pray that others would come and join with us as we study the word of God together. Pray that you bless the preaching service this morning. May Christ be glorified in all that's said and done today. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Colossians 1, 16, and 16 through 20. I've given the title of this message or this study, Christ and the Universe. Christ and the Universe. The subject is Christ in this passage. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace by the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. What is the relation of Christ to the universe? Is he only the Redeemer who became a man, lived a perfect righteous life? took our sins upon himself and died as a substitute for sinners? Is this the sum total of his relation to this universe? The Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ has a far more involved relationship, a vastly greater relationship to the universe. And in the study this morning, we're going to look at this relationship of Christ to the universe. As we do this, we shall consider three very broad areas in which Christ relates to the universe. Each of these three areas involves work that Christ has done and is doing and will do in relation to the universe. Now I have arranged this study around an alliterative outline hopefully to help you remember it and take it home with you, all the letters of each of the three points, all of the, all of the three points begin with the letter C. So if you're writing these down, write them down in your bulletin or in your Bible, three C's in Christ's relationship to the universe. The first area of the Lord Jesus' relation to the universe is that of creation. Begins with a C. Creation. 
Look at verse 16. For by him, that is Christ, if you look back at the previous few verses, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So according to God's word, Christ is the creator of all things. The verses preceding this text uh, in verses 12 through 15 make crystal clear that our text is speaking of Christ. By him, in verse 16, is clearly speaking of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood and the image of the invisible God. It is by him that all things were created. All things are defined here as things in heaven and things in earth, whether they be visible or invisible, and whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. The apostle John begins his gospel with the fact that Christ created all things. It's, isn't it interesting how many times in both the Bible study and the preaching services, we come back to John 1, 1 through 3. Christ is the Word here, and the Word is said to have made all things. John, look at John 1, 1 through 3. We should almost have this memorized just from the number of times that it's been mentioned. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. That's Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, that is the Word, Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now look at verse 10. This is speaking of Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him and the world knew him not. Next, turn to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This passage says that Christ created the worlds. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So that ought to be sufficient scripture to demonstrate that Christ is the creator of the world. The fact that he is the creator of all things tells us much about his person, who he is. If Christ is the creator, this means that he pre-existed the creation. Thus, he is eternal. Verse 17 of our text says that he is before all things. Now, that means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that he pre-existed all things. Turn to the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2 says that Christ is eternal. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, 
Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Next turn to Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews chapter 1 again and verse 8 this time. Then we'll skip down to verse 10 after we read verse 8. These verses tell us both that Christ preexisted and that he is eternal. Verse 8 identifies Christ as the subject of these verses. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Then verses 10 through 12 say that this one is the Lord Jesus and he existed before creation and he goes on forever. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fade. The fact that Christ is the creator also proves that he is God because only God can create. Here in Hebrews 1.10, if you're still there, Paul is quoting from Psalm 102, verses 24 to 27, where the psalmist is speaking to God. And he says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. And then in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, Paul applies this passage in Psalms to Christ. Interestingly enough, that proves that the scriptures are the best interpreters of the scripture. Also, if Christ is the creator, then he has all power. If he can create, there's nothing he cannot do. Paul says in Romans 1, 20, that the creation reveals God's power and Godhead. Let's turn to Romans 1, 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. This tells us that the creation reveals God's power and Godhead. It reveals that he is, has great power and that he is God. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Anyone ought to know that there's a God because they can see in the creation his power and his deity, his Godhead. Well, if Christ is the creator, furthermore, then he is sovereign over the creation. The creator can do anything he wants with the creation, because by virtue of his creating it, he is therefore the owner and proprietor of it. He made it, he owns it therefore, and he can do anything he wants with what he owns. Christ's creation of all things 
is the foundation of the gospel, though it is not the complete structure of the gospel. There had to be a place where the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ could be worked out. This world was created as the stage upon which the drama of redemption would be acted out. That's the real purpose of the whole creation. He who created all things stepped into time in order to redeem his people. The creation provided a place where the righteousness of Jesus Christ could be accomplished and provided. It was to this creation that Christ came, lived up to the law perfectly in every detail, died on the cross as the substitute for sinners, was buried and rose bodily from the grave. Without, a, without creation, there would be no stage upon, the, upon which the gospel could be worked out in the doing and dying of Christ. Now, creation is the past work of the Lord Jesus. Uh, creation is not just a religious doctrine that is of only marginal importance, as many professing Christians today say that it is. Christ's work of creation is often ignored today. I would dare say the average Christian is probably not even aware that Christ is the creator. They just say God is the creator. Today's preachers rarely mention that Christ is the creator. One truly preaches Christ only when he preaches him as the creator from whom man is alienated because of sin. To preach a Jesus who is not the creator is to preach what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, another Jesus. Well, the second area in which Christ relates to the universe is conservation. Conservation. The first one was creation. The second one is conservation. Look at verse 17 of our text in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now this word consist has the sense of hold together. By Christ all things consist. All things hold together. They are sustained. They are preserved by him. Charles Hodge in his systematic theology says that Creation is the production of something out of nothing. Preservation is the upholding in existence of what already is. You ever thought about that? How come, you know, this pulpit's made up of atoms. How come those atoms don't just go apart? Why, how come this pulpit just doesn't come apart? How come this church building doesn't? How come this county doesn't? How come the world doesn't? because Christ is holding all things together. By him, all things consist. He maintains and supports all things. The angels in heaven are confirmed in their state by him. All men have their existence and continuance in him. This conservation or preservation means that all creatures he has made owe their continuance of existence to the will of Christ. He's sovereign. 
Everything owns its continuance to him. He's maintaining all things. By him, all things consist. This universe does not continue in existence of and by itself. What keeps the whole galaxy from going like that, from just going out? All living creatures, angels, plants, animals, men, continue to exist not by any inherent principle of life, but by the will and power of Christ. Nothing other than Christ, who is God, has the cause of its continuing exist existence in itself. Only God is self-existent and immutable. By the way, that's what the word, the name Jehovah means. It means the self-existent one. Only God is self-existent. Only God is unchangeable. The universe must be conserved or preserved by a power not within itself. This universe has its stability and its continuance from Christ. Christ exerts continuous power by means of which he maintains the existence of the universe and all things in it. Without Christ, the universe would come apart and be dissolved and would disintegrate. The whole universe would blow up and break in pieces and fly apart did Christ not hold it together. The universe would cease to exist were it not for the power of Christ in holding it together. So Jesus Christ conserves, he preserves, he maintains, he supports his creation. God's word very clearly teaches that Christ preserves his creation. Verse 17 of our text says, and by him, by Christ, all things consist, all things hold together. In Psalm 36, 6, the psalmist says, O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Let's turn to Nehemiah 9, 6 or another passage that speaks of this conservation. Nehemiah 9, 6, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. To help you find it, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This speaks of the work of conservation. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. On the seventh day of the creation week, Christ did not totally cease all activity, only his direct work of creation. Christ is at work in this creation right now, preserving all things. We were talking the other night about what is Christ doing right now. And there are at least three things. He's interceding for his elect, and he is holding all things together. He's preserving all things, and he is preparing a place for his people to go when they die and after he comes again. So Christ is, is at work in creation right now, preserving all things. 
Part of what the Lord Jesus meant when he said in John 5, 17 was that he is preserving the universe. Listen to this. My father worketh and I work. What is he doing? We just talked about that. Paul is talking about this conserving work in Acts 17, 28, when he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Still talking about the, con the conservation work of Christ. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews 1, 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul is speaking here of Christ when he says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, 3. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We cannot look upon Christ as a mere spectator of the creatures who owe their existence to him. Uh, you know, a lot of people see God like that. He's out there, he's watching everything, but he's not doing it. Christ is no cosmic observer of this universe that he has made. He is actively sustaining all things. And if he were to withdraw his conserving power, the universe would collapse. The almighty power of Christ is as much concerned in continued existence as in the original creation of all things. Jesus Christ is both the creator and the sustainer of this universe. He is as truly active in the conservation of the universe as he was in its creation. The preservation of this world is as much due to the immediate power of Christ as was the creation. These two things are always clearly distinguished in God's word. Christ created all things and by him all things consist or hold together. All things are absolutely dependent on Christ. Therefore, men's pious urgings that we work to save the planet are a joke. Christ is preserving this planet and all of his creation. And you know what? This planet's going to stay here until the, the end when Christ, when God's going to burn it up and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. We need have no fear that man by his pollution or by his use of fossil fuels or by his use of nuclear arms or any other means will destroy the earth. Just quit being afraid of that. It's not going to happen. Conservation is Christ's present work in relation to the creation. Well, that brings us to the third C. We looked at creation, and then we looked at conservation. Now we're going to look at consummation. Consummation. And consummation, uh, I believe, is spelled with two M, even though I misspelled it in my notes. Uh, look at verse 20 of our text, back to Colossians 1:20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, that is by Christ, he's the subject here, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, 
Now, there is some controversy over what this verse actually says, but as again, the scripture is its own best interpreter. So let's look at it like that. Ultimately, God is going to reconcile all things to himself by him, by his dear son, by Christ. And this reconciling will be the consummation of history. Now, uh, the controversy is over the, over the extent of this reconciliation. Most of the time, we only think of reconciliation as being uh, God being, uh, uh, as man being reconciled to God in the death of Christ. But I believe from the, uh, from the context here that this reconciliation will involve more than the atoning work of Christ because verse 20 says, all things, uh, look at, uh, see, verse to reconcile all things unto himself. And, and if that isn't clear enough, he goes on to say, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So this consummate, this reconciliation here, I believe refers to the consummation of all things and of, of which Christ is in charge. Consummation, what does that word mean? It means culmination. It means climax. It means completion. It means conclusion. It means the wind-up. According to God's word, history is going someplace. There's a purpose. God has a purpose in history. Just as there has been a beginning, which was Christ's creation of all things out of nothing, so there will be someday a consummation, a climax, an end of history. Uh, there is no gospel and no hope if history just sort of winds down and peters out. God's word tells us where history is headed. History will have a climax. Christ will consummate all things at the end just as he created all things at the beginning. The biblical story unravels unless Christ brings the universe to judgment. God's word assures us that there will be a perfect moral judgment at the end of history. Christ the creator will bring history to an ending that will include perfect moral satisfaction. In other words, things are going to be made right. We sometimes speak of the study of the consummation as eschatology. Somebody's got a $2 word for everything in the Bible. Eschatology. What does that mean? That means the study of the last thing, particularly with reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word reveals that there will be a consummation of history. There will be a divine judgment at the end of history. Both Old and New Testaments reveal this consummation. Turn to Isaiah 13. Isaiah chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 here in a moment. But this passage reveals that in the consummation, God's fierce anger and wrath will be loose on this old wicked world. Isaiah 13, 9. 
Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. That's judgment day. That's consummation. That's coming to this earth. Now look at Matthew 24 in the New Testament. Matthew 24 and I'll read verses 29 and 30 here. Matthew 24, 29 and 30. The Lord Jesus describes the consummation here. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the wind-up. That's the consummation. Part of it, anyway. Peter tells us of the terrible judgments of God to come on this earth at the consummation. Look at 2 Peter, <coughs> excuse me, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. Peter's speaking about the consummation and the terrible judgments that are coming at that time. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with, great, with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Well, the central event in this consummation will be the return of Christ in glory. Many great and awesome events will occur at the consummation. You know, we think the flood was, really must have been something, but it was nothing compared to these events that were told about as part of the consummation. All of these events will center in and focus on the return of Christ. And the scripture tells us plainly and repeatedly that Christ is coming again. In Matthew 16, 27, the Lord Jesus says, 
the Son of Man shall come. In Matthew 25, 31 and 32, the Lord Jesus says, the Son of Man shall come. John 14, 3, the Lord Jesus says, I will come again. At the end of history, Christ will come for his redeemed people. He's going to triumph over sin, death, evil, and injustice. Bodies of Christians will be resurrected. Christ will be revealed in glory. God's justice will be perfectly displayed. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, Paul says in Philippians 2.11. When Christ returns, this blood-soaked, rebellious, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, corrupt, and vile world will be cleansed of its filth. And righteousness, holiness, and peace will characterize the kingdom of Christ. Right now, sin has put the entire universe out of joint. But in the consummation, all tears will be wiped away. The curse will be removed. There will be no more pain and sorrow, and death will be no more. All who are in Christ, and by the way, this again is speaking about the earth in the consummation. I believe this is the same thing Paul is speaking about in Romans 8, 22, and let me just read that. I know you're familiar with it. But Romans 8.22 is speaking about uh, the physical creation. Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. All of that's going to be done away in the consummation. All who are in Christ will enter into the perfection of being redeemed from all iniquity, from all iniquity. Paradise lost in Genesis will be paradise regained in Revelation. Without the consummation, there would be no hope. Turn to Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Paul calls this consummation the blessed hope. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good work. Now hope refers to what is future and Titus 2, 11 through 14 points out the hope of Christians as the return of Christ at the end. Without Christ's consummating of history, there's no hope for the future. This is the climax. This is the consummation of creation. We can be absolutely sure that all God intended in the beginning will ultimately be consummated. This earth and its history will not stop short of the goal that God has purposed from all eternity. One's knowledge of what will happen at the end should greatly affect how he lives in the present. Pilgrim 
and the Pilgrim's Progress, and I hope you'll read Pilgrim's Progress before you die. Greatest book ever written outside the Bible. Story of a Christian and his life from salvation to death and beyond into heaven. Pilgrim in the Pilgrim's Progress was convinced to flee the city of destruction because of the eschatological doctrine that the city would be destroyed. Remember what eschatology is, the last thing. So Pilgrim left his thriving city where he was enjoying all things, and he left that city out of fear because he believed this doctrine of the coming destruction. Noah did exactly the same thing in Hebrews 11:7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. In conclusion, by the way, <laughs> conclusion begins with a C. I hadn't put that in the outline, but creation is the past work of Christ. Conservation is his present work. And consummation is his future work. The scope of the relation of Christ to the universe is vast indeed. It's as vast as history itself. We have seen in this study that Christ is central in the whole vast panorama of Earth's history. Today's timid and spineless Christians often urge their pastors to avoid controversial subjects like creation and conservation and consummation. I remember being pastor of a church and I announced that we were going to study the book of Revelation. And one of the men came to me very seriously concerned. And he said, Preacher, I don't think you ought to do that. Revelation is just too controversial. As we have seen in the scriptures, Christ is the creator, the conserver, and the consummator of all things. Preaching Christ is preaching all of his person and work. So let's review. What are the three C's? Creation, conservation, and consummation. I wonder, since Christ is central to all of history and all that the Bible has to say, do you know Christ? Is the Christ that we've seen in this study the Christ that you know? Are you trusting in Christ and his righteousness as your only hope of salvation? I urge you to do so today. Next time, the Lord willing, we're going to study Old Testament prophecies of Christ's coming. And I promise there's a lot more than just the one or two that we just usually look at. Old Testament prophecies of Christ's coming.